Welcome to Sober Stories, a podcast dedicated to the power and change that can come from really, really great storytelling. We believe that stories are a massively transformational medium. When we can see ourselves in someone's story, when we share our own story, that's when the magic happens. Here, we tell stories of folks all across the sober spectrum with hope, honesty, inspiration, and probably a few sparkling water jokes. I'm your host, Beth Bowen, and it's a huge honor to be Chief Story Steward around here. With our guests, we pull back the curtain on the good, the bad, and sometimes the downright ugly of what it looks like to ditch the booze, changing the world one podcast episode at a time. Y'all ready? Hey, Sober Stories crew. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of our show. I've got a fantastic quickie for you today. I had the opportunity to interview Brittany Kay, and she shared so many good nuggets in our conversation. Y'all have been asking for some shorter episodes for listening on your commute, your walk, while you cook, and this one packs so much value in 30 minutes. After you have today's episode to listen, tag Brittany and let us know what your biggest takeaway was. Here we go. All right, my friends, I have a great conversation today with Brittany. Brittany, thank you so much for joining us on Sober Stories Podcast. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. Great. Well, why don't you give us the story of you, who you are, who you do life with, where you live, any of the the kind of high notes? Um, sure. So I currently am a content writer. Um, I work mostly for, I, most, I write mostly for Indeed.com. And I'm also in graduate school to become a mental health counselor, which mm-hmm. has always been a passion of mine. And I finally just took the leap. I live with my husband. We've been married almost seven years. My dog is my baby. I live in Tampa, <laughs> Florida. <laughs> Beautiful. We might have some dogs interrupt us here too. <laughs> oh, same. <laughs> well, so tell us the story of you and alcohol. How did you come to be where you are now? Is it a short story? Is it a novel? What What's the main synopsis and theme of Brittany and alcohol? Um, it's kind of in the middle of a short story in the novel. So in college, I had issues with Adderall. I was misusing it. Um, and I ended up going to rehab when I was 21. I'm 30 now, 31 now. (laughs) I haven't quite accepted 31. Yeah. I feel like once you hit 25, it's like, I got to do math now to know how old I am. I know exactly. But I went to rehab and that was an experience for sure. I was a little, I actually like had to convince my parents to send me there because I just didn't know how to get away from that drug. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that I was still very immature. I had just turned 21. So I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is my life. I'm officially an adult. I can do anything I want. Mm. And after that, about three months after I got out of rehab, I started drinking in a non-healthy manner. So I was mm-hmm. around 22 then. And then it took me maybe like a year to finally come to terms with the fact that I was an alcoholic and I was abusing mm-hmm. alcohol on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And from there, my journey started to become sober but it was a long journey usually is and then yeah it involved a lot of mess ups and disappointments and almost ruining my life and Mm. when I was maybe 24 I officially decided to jump in to an AA program because I was just Mm -hmm. desperate um yeah 
I had tried to do it on my own forever and that clearly wasn't working. I'm always mm-hmm. one of those people. I'm very like intellectual. So I'm like, I know how to do this. Like, yeah, you know, I can read a book and figure it out and follow the steps. And that, totally. yeah, that was just not working out. And I honestly mm-hmm. think that it doesn't work for a lot of people. I mean, of course, yeah. everyone gets sober in their own way. But I do believe strongly that you need a support system, maybe mm-hmm. a program. Um, and then when I was 26, I stopped drinking for good. So I've been alcohol free for over five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but that came with a lot of, you know, pain and mm-hmm. disappointments and letting people down. Mm-hmm. And it was just finally I had hit my rock bottom and my husband was like, I can't live like this anymore. And my parents yeah. were like, you're, you're ruining your life. And I finally realized that it was like, if I don't stop drinking, something really bad is going to happen because mm-hmm. I had several incidents where, I mean, I could have gotten a DUI. I could have hurt someone. Yeah. And that just became like very apparent to me. Mm-hmm. And that was really kind of something that I kept in my mind throughout my sobriety journey and something that I still keep in my mind on a regular basis. Hmm. Tell me what that means for you keeping that in mind now while you're sober. So what it means is basically if I were ever to go back drinking, I truly believe Hmm. that I will either hurt someone, I will end up in jail, Hmm. um, I will die. I mean, like worst case scenarios, I feel like all of my luck has been used up. (laughs) Mm, mm. I relate to that a lot. It's like I think about some of the experiences that happened while I was drinking and even, you know, as far back as college, it's like if the stars had been aligned a little bit differently or I was a little bit of a different person, that could have gone really different than the way it did. And, you know, I, I hear this idea of this progressive journey of understanding in your early 20s that there was this problem with with Adderall, with a different substance and mm-hmm. getting and seeking help for that. And then another substance comes up and then knowing yeah. for, you know, years and, and really just a long time of knowing and then trial and error. And then finally it sticks. So tell us more about when you were 26, what was the piece of this that made it stick for you? I had actually been sober for nine months before that. And Mm -hmm. I just decided to drink one night. And as soon as I took the first sip, I was like, this is wrong. I can't do this. This isn't going Mm -hmm. to end well. It was almost Mm -hmm. like an immediate understanding that I am not capable of drinking in a safe, healthy Mm -hmm. manner. And that was really kind of like the push that I needed because it really showed Mm -hmm. me that alcohol solves nothing. And if anything, it only makes any situation worse. Yeah. You know, I have shared on this podcast before, but my sober date, September 29th, 2017, and about 550 days in the middle. Oh, thank you. (laughs) About 550 days in the middle of that, I tried it again. And when you say like the first sip, I knew I was like, this, this feels too good. First and foremost, like I know myself and I know how much I want this and I know what it's going to look like 
if I continue drinking it. And I did for about three weeks before I was like, okay, this, this absolutely cannot work. Mm-hmm. Tell us more. You know, I hear that you have done different kind of experiences within the recovery community. You've, you've experienced what it's like in rehab. You've gone to AA, to the 12 steps. And I know that you have used words like alcoholic in here and, and you and I have talked off the podcast that you use alcohol free. So tell us more about the evolution of your own recovery and the language you use and the, the beliefs you hold about your personal sobriety. So when I still kind of am an AA, but I go mm-hmm. much less frequently. And AA is a program that's strict and based on several steps that you're expected to complete. But with mm-hmm. that comes, you know, beliefs of members of that group. So mm-hmm. I don't fully agree with that. I mean, some mm-hmm. people think that taking mental health medication is not being yeah. sober. And right. that's something I like vehemently disagree with. Mm. So lately, actually in the past year, my idea of sobriety has really evolved to be you know sober from the things that you know you're addicted to or have an issue with and Mm -hmm. that could be anything I mean that could be shopping that could be gambling that could be using drugs that could be a variety of things And so I kind of switched it to alcohol free to just make it really clear that my primary Mm -hmm. focus is on maintaining my alcohol sobriety. Mm -hmm. Um, And to also use like more inclusive language and not impose my beliefs or understanding of sobriety on others. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's kind of why I was asking, because I think it's so interesting to hear everyone's different experience. And I think the language is really important. And and not to say that one is more right than the other, but when we can find a word or an identifier or a framework that aligns with our lived experience and our worldview and our beliefs, that's when it really becomes accessible. So if we have right. words and labels that don't work for us or we have modalities that don't work for us, sometimes they can be a barrier to entry. But I also think it's really interesting when our views can evolve and change. You know, I did not get sober through the 12 steps. AA felt like a non-starter for me. It felt like something that just really was not going to work for me. And Mm -hmm. now that I'm four and a half years in, like I have a curiosity about it because Mm -hmm. I think the 12 steps themselves, the 12 steps are our personal development work. If you take it outside of the context of, you know, AA, it's like some of the steps are good. And And I really agree with you about community and finding people to do this with. I I I personally believe that we we can do it alone, probably, maybe, but it's gonna take a lot longer and it's gonna be a lot harder. And if we do it with other people, it's faster, better, more more connected. And and so, you know, the more I learn about it and the more I learn about different inclusive spaces, like I just heard about a, a queer. AA group here in Austin. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that that existed. And I think yeah. that it's just interesting and, and kind of cool to be able to like stay curious about it and understand that we don't even have to like be fixed in our ideas of what our own sobriety is, what the recovery field should be like, what all of this, you know, is supposed to quote unquote look like. But 
That reminds me of a, a post I was reading of yours where you said that you have really only started sharing about your sobriety in the last year or so, but mm-hmm. you've, you've been sober for quite some time. So tell me more what that has been like and what the, if, if there's been any difference in, in talking about this more publicly. Sure. So I will tell you the first year of my sobriety I've spent at home. I mean, I mm. hardly left the house. I was just embarrassed and ashamed of the situation Mm. I was so concerned what other people would think and then um, a few years in I really gained this confidence around sobriety I finally learned that it was an asset rather than Mm. you know a defect or a disease which I mean I do believe it's a disease but I believe it's something that is meant to be overcome and make you stronger Mm. and so After that, I just decided to start sharing because Mm -hmm. I began realizing that so many people out there need to know they're not alone and they enjoy reading these posts and seeing other sober people interact with life and how they're doing. And I try to keep my posts very real, not all, you know, optimistic and this is the perfect way of life and things like that but um, once I started sharing I really noticed so many people reaching out I mean people that I had no idea like mm. old high school friends yeah. um, random people on Instagram just mm-hmm. reaching out and being like hey can you help me I'm just trying to get sober like mm. do you have any recommendations what did you do and that has been really empowering and has encouraged me to continue doing what I'm doing well, I, I I think, and really that's the ethos of what we do here. What we're doing in Sober Stories is sharing stories of different people getting sober, being sober, and, and whatever their definition of sober is too. Because once we can see somebody who is like us or we can relate to them or identify something about them that makes sense to us and we see them doing it a different way, I think it really opens doors for people and gives them the opportunity to make a, a positive change in their own life. And and I know that was the case for me until I saw somebody doing it. It felt, until I saw somebody doing it outside the 12 step, steps specifically, it felt inaccessible for me. And I thought I was yeah. like, well, if I have to go to AA, I'll just, I guess I'm just going to be a drunk. Like, I guess that's my only other yeah. option. But when we see somebody else and, and even somebody going to AA who is somebody that we respect and admire or have connected with to see them doing that, it just, I think it's a really beautiful way to open doors for people and give them permission to do things differently. So I'm I'm curious what it has felt like for you to be able to share and be able to be vulnerable like that. It has been, it has opened the doors to a lot of things. So it has really increased my confidence, my comfort in my sobriety and in life. And I remember when I was first trying to get sober, you know, almost 10 years ago, there was nothing on Instagram or social media or anything related to sobriety. And I literally felt like the only person in my 20s who was trying to get sober. And so I always thought, you know, if one person could be that example, it would help so much. And I would have given my left hand to have a younger person tell Mm. me, you know, it's okay. I've done this. Let me help you. I'm here to support you. And 
that was really just, you know, the reasoning behind starting sharing. Mm -hmm. But I've gotten so much out of it. Stop everything you're doing right now because we have a quiz for you. That's right. The folks over at Deswa have created the most fun personality quiz matching you with the perfect aperitif from their tasty, sparkling, non-alcoholic beverage line. Hey, Callie, what'd you get? Oh, okay. So I got the Champignon Dreams, Mm. uh, which is, I'm not going to lie. It's pretty perfect for me. Not only (laughs) is it like my exact color, Uh but it says that I'm funky and sweet, but still totally balanced and down to earth. And I'm not going to lie. I think that describes me pretty well. And you know, it is also the drink that I would be wanting to drink of theirs. So it's pretty perfect. I think funky and sweet is exactly you. I think that that's perfect (laughs) for you. Okay, here's mine. I got Golden Hour, which is funny because it's actually my favorite of their whole line. But here's what it says about me. When people meet you, they say you're so bubbly. They're not wrong, but you've also got way more going on. You're zesty and sharp with a dry wit that keeps people on their toes. I don't know. I I don't know about dry wit, but like it makes me feel fancy. I don't know. I would agree. I think it got you pretty spot on. (laughs) If you haven't tried Deswa, it's a fantastic line of functional non-alcoholic beverages in easy, ready-to-drink offerings. Try it yourself with code SOBERSTORIES and save 15% off your first purchase at drinkdeswa.com. That's D-R-I-N-K-D-E-S-O-I.com. So, you know, I think a lot of people listening to this are going to be younger, be in their early to mid twenties and think that it is impossible to be sober in your twenties. Oh yeah. What was that experience like? What it is, what has it been like on the other side for you? It was definitely hard at first. I mean, sobriety is no walk in the park for sure, especially in your twenties, because that's when, you know, happy hour, friends are drinking, let's mm-hmm. go out and do this. I mean, drinking is such a huge part of our culture. And in my 20s, it was hard because I still had these beliefs that if I'm not drinking, I'm not included in certain situations um, or I won't have fun or I'll be judged by people. And it was just a process of overcoming those beliefs that really helped me get to the other side of that. And it took time. I mean, it wasn't instant. Mm. It was a long process. And I mean, it's just like self-development, you know, it's not overnight. It's doing the same thing every day and Hmm. working towards that goal. One of the things that I saw you post recently about was a trip to Costa Rica and Mm -hmm. this beautiful, sober vacation. And that's another thing that I know so many people are like, well, I can't get sober because I've got a vacation in a month or I can't quit drinking because I'm I'm going to Costa Rica in six months. Tell us about your alcohol-free vacation and what, you know, either now at, at, at six years sober or when you first got sober, what vacationing sober was like. So I've actually vacationed multiple times sober and each time gets easier. At first it was terribly difficult and I would just Mm. dread it. But now it's more like I'm very comfortable in my sobriety. So I have no problem asking a bartender to make me an alcoholic drink. I have no problem setting boundaries of when I need to take a break. I need to be away Mm. from alcohol. Like in Costa Rica, there were 60 people getting drunk around me and Mm that wears on you, you know, so setting boundaries has been huge for that. What do those boundaries look like for you? 
So boundaries for me related to sobriety are understanding my limits, listening Mm -hmm. to like my internal dialogue and how I'm feeling inside if I'm starting to feel anxious or agitated or even like, hey, I wish I could drink right now. It's Mm -hmm. time to take a break. Mm -hmm. And I've had to really learn it doesn't matter what anyone thinks. You know, if someone wants me to stay longer, I'm sorry, I can't, I don't have the capacity (laughs) for that anymore. You know, I've been Mm. here, I've done, I've participated and, you know, that's all I've got right now. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I'm I'm tapped out. My capacity is done. It's time for me to leave. I'm a big fan of, um, you know, leaving the party early and like doing so very quietly. Just be like, bye, I gotta go. You know, I, and I know that, this idea of vacationing sober can sound like you're missing out. And so tell us what you what you didn't miss out on in Costa Rica. I did not miss out on hangovers <laughs> <laughs> or the worry of when I was going to drink next or mm. having to deal with blackouts or my behavior. Mm. I was a huge blackout drinker. I just drank till I couldn't drink anymore pretty much. And you know, I missed out. I didn't miss out on the most important moments of that trip, which it was mm. my best friend's wedding. I got to be 100% present for that, which is such mm. a gift. I mean, when you're drinking, you're not present. You're yeah. consumed by the alcohol that fills your brain mm. and prevents you from really being available to live in the present moment. Mm, yeah, and I and I think that that applies too for so many other pieces of a vacation. You know, we go into a vacation with this idea of rest and rejuvenation mm-hmm. and connecting with whoever we're with, and maybe you know celebrating, having fun, having all these experiences. But you can do all this without alcohol. You can go right. to you know the event. You can go to the wedding. You can have the relaxing spa day. You don't have to have alcohol. There and and I spoke with a, a guest a couple episodes ago, Jyoti Chand, and I really thought it was interesting the way she phrased it. She said, "I didn't realize how much I was inviting alcohol into my life and how many different like places that we had invited alcohol." And I think that's a really interesting idea of like we have associated, we have learned to associate these experiences with alcohol, but it doesn't have to be that way. Probably wasn't always like that for us, for society as a whole. Like we've just Mm -hmm. learned this. And just as we've learned this, we can unlearn this and do this differently. Yeah, I completely agree. I know that mental health is a part of your story and you are now in grad school for mental health counseling. So tell us more about what led you to pursuing this for a career. So I've always been interested in psychology. I double majored in that in my um, undergraduate studies. And I started having some pretty severe mental health issues in kind of my late 20s. And I just really began to understand that I'm not the only one who's dealing with that, right? So what can I do to work with others, help others overcome these things that could potentially be greatly affecting their lives? Mm. And especially now that mental health is finally receiving the attention it deserves, Mm. there's an increased need for therapists 
And it kind of just felt like a good opportunity, but it's also very much a passion. You know, I, I have a lot of therapist friends and they're like, I'm, I'm booked out. I'm tapped out. I cannot take on any more clients. And not only are we gaining more awareness about mental health, but our mental health has gotten worse because of COVID and the pandemic and mm-hmm. everything we've experienced in the last three years. So it's this interesting intersection of awareness increasing, but also problems increasing. And mm-hmm. the kind of the chicken or the egg, it's like, are we aware of our problems more? So we're noticing it. So we're going to therapy or are our problems getting worse because of our environment or, you know, the answer is probably both. But the mental health field is really strapped right now. It's really, really overburdened. And I also really get excited about people who are sober or are alcohol-free or in recovery, and especially if they are doing it in different ways. Because when I was in grad school, and I graduated in 2013, so I don't really know what they're teaching now, but all we learned about substance use was you send them to AA, you give them a list mm-hmm. of meetings, they go to AA or they go to treatment, but there wasn't anything else. And and we really hadn't started to understand the spectrum of alcohol use disorder quite yet. And I think that the more people we have going into the field that understand that spectrum and know that it's not just black or white, there's a lot of in-between space. I think it's really going to benefit the the world as a whole. Yeah. So, you know, you you had mentioned that you had been experiencing some some mental health challenges when you first got sober. What does that look like now? How does sobriety support your mental health? Sobriety has greatly supported my mental health just because it's one less mental health issue that I have to deal with. You know, hmm. alcohol is finally being recognized as a disease, a disorder, and I mean, even in the DSM-5, which is like the basically Bible for therapists, these things Mm -hmm. are highly recognized as mental health disorders. So I really appreciate that. (laughs) And I think it kind of empowers people because Mm -hmm. it's like you're not just a random person struggling with this addiction or Mm -hmm. malady or abuse. You're not. You shouldn't be ashamed of your situation. There is treatment available. There are a million people like you. And therapists recognize that and they address that. And they're not afraid to create treatment plans that, you know, may or may not involve AA. It's really Mm -hmm. come full circle. So I think that's very important. And it gives so many people the opportunity to address their alcohol use in a safe mm-hmm. environment and come up with solutions that work best for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I really like the way you use language. And I actually wrote this down from your story of experiencing challenges with Adderall earlier. You said misusing. And I, I think it's so important to pay attention to the way we use verbiage and language around substance use because so much of what we used to believe about this is that it was really about the person and whether or not it was, you know, a moral failing or if they were weak or whatever we want to say. And I think even sometimes when we say more broadly, like alcohol abuse, it's like abuse and misuse can, can kind of be used interchangeably, but I think that it changes the dynamic of the sentiment. And we're starting to understand when we think of of people first language in the mental health field. So a person with depression versus like a depressed person, that's not exactly like the best example, but 
I think that this nuance and language is really powerful because what you said, like this happens to so many people and this is not your fault. And the onus of this is not on you. It's it, and, and I like what Laura McCowan says, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Exactly. I think this language is really important to say like misusing substances versus, you know, abusing substances or an addict or whatever, because it it opens right. up space for the person to feel less shame. It opens up space for there to be less stigma, fewer labels, fewer um, stereotypes out in the world. So I really appreciate the way you use that language and are, are careful about that. So tell me what the biggest gift sobriety has given to you and what has been the most difficult part? The biggest gift sobriety has given to me is just control of my life again. So many doors have opened. In the AA program, they say that all of your dreams and more will come true. And that's what's happened to me. I've been able Mm. to pursue something I'm passionate about. I've been able to work successfully without those hangovers. I have a very healthy Mm. relationship with my husband. We have a house, we travel. You know, these things weren't possible when I was drinking. It was a constant hiding of things. Mm. The most challenging part of sobriety has been just constantly being aware of my self-talk and how Mm. I'm treating myself and really just keeping my expectations and beliefs in align with my personal moral system. Mm. And sometimes that's hard because especially when you're around a lot of people drinking, it's easy to second guess yourself. So it's really been just a challenge to overcome those beliefs and rely on my own knowledge of what's true. Mm. I like that a lot. And I think when I think about the time when I tried drinking again, it's because the self-talk and the inner dialogue had started to say, well, maybe it wasn't that bad or maybe it changed or and it sure looks fun what they're doing. Maybe maybe yeah. it's not so different. And to pay attention to the way our brain is thinking and those and, and to pick up on those cues, I think is really challenging. But like you said, that's that's the piece that keeps you aligned with your values and aligned with what you know to be true. And I think that we're right. really intuitive and we have good gut feelings about what mm-hmm. is and what isn't right for us. But we have so many external stories. We have so many external messages that we're receiving about alcohol that it's easy to second guess that. And any time that we can keep that top of mind, I think is really, really important. I agree. So the last question I ask before we finish every interview and take your time on this one is if your story were to be published, what kind of story is it? It would really be just a journey of from like active addiction to sobriety and what that has meant in my life, how I Mm. did it, Um, not so much imposing how I did it, but just sharing Mm. with others one possible solution. Mm. I like that one possible solution. Here's one story. Here's my story. Take what works for you. And exactly. I love that. Take what works and leave the rest. Exactly. Beautiful. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for your time today, for your story. I know somebody out here is listening to this and needs to hear this story of getting sober in your 20s, the the time of trial and error and figuring out how this sticks long-term, making 
connections and community through the 12 steps and then what you've made in this space ever since. So I really mm-hmm. appreciate your storytelling and your story. I know our listeners are going to want to connect with you. So how can they find you? They can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Hey, H-E-Y, Brit, B-R-I-T-T-K-K-A-Y. Okay, beautiful. All right, my friends, go give Brit a follow. Thank you so much for your time and we will talk soon. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to Sober Stories with me, Beth Bowen, and our guest, Brittany Kay. I loved the timing of this episode. I'm actually off on a little trip to Mexico next week, and I'm already bringing that spirit of full presence with me. But don't worry, we've got an episode all ready to go live, even when I'm on the beach. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you took a second to rate and review Sober Stories wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us tell more stories, reach more people, change more lives, one good review at a time. And if you had a big aha moment from today's show, we'd love it if you shared it with us on social media. You can find us at We Are Sober Stories on most platforms. Tag us so we can hear your big takeaways and you never know when we'll send a little thank you. I also want to thank our team here at Sober Stories, Alexis Archuleta on the mixing and podcast genius side, Callie Williams is our community engagement lead, Daniela Marty for our graphic design, and every single person who has a hand in what we are building. Until next week, my friends.